Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to Paul's letter to the Colossians. And in the church Bibles, you'll find that on page 983. Colossians chapter 1, and beginning our reading at verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Think about uh, in today's world how often we are being reminded of our progress on things. If you're reading a news article online, you might click on a website and when you begin to read that essay, it might tell you uh, very quickly how far you are in your progress of reading through that article. Either it'll tell you how long they estimate it'll take or they'll tell you how much you've already read, uh, uh, read of that article. You might have read 20%. And so it encourages you uh, to not only know where you're at, but to encourage you to persevere. Uh, You can read through this. You have the time uh, to get through it. Or you think about our apps, uh, whether on your phone or whether it's on your watch, that keep count of how many steps you take. Uh, Those apps are designed to encourage you towards your goal. Uh, You can get to 10,000 steps. Uh, This is where you're at right now, and this is where you're trying to get to. And so those reminders teach us about our progress. The Christian life also involves one of progress. And this morning, as we're turning back to the letter of uh, Colossians, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, telling them about his own ministry. He is sharing with them something of the dynamics that characterize what he has been doing as a minister of the gospel. And as he's writing to the Colossians, he wants them to understand what his aim is for them, what his goal is, and what he wants to see produced in them. And this morning, we want to really zero in our focus. Uh, We're looking at uh, these verses collectively, but we really want to zero in on verse 28, where Paul uh, talks about, in him, uh, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We want to think about how Paul's aim, his ministry is summarized here as presenting everyone mature in Christ. Uh, What does that, that mean? And we really want to see that because Christ is the unveiling of God's grace and of God's glory, we are to be identified and rooted and stable in our allegiance 
to Christ. That word there, mature, in verse 28, uh, is translated in the older translations, like the King James, by the word perfect. Uh, it is a word that means to be blameless in one's life. Uh, it's the idea of maturity, uh, a wholehearted devotion uh, and a conduct without uh, fault. It is to be oriented or to be directed uh, towards the Lord. That's how Noah was described in the Old Testament. You remember that it tells us that Noah was a righteous man who was blameless in the sight of the Lord. It's capturing that idea that Noah was a mature believer. Noah was someone who was devoted to the Lord in the way that he lived. He was someone who was stable in his convictions. And he wasn't going to be shaken by being unpopular or being in the minority. Noah knew what he believed and he knew why he believed it. And so his life showed that in the way that he lived. And so as Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, he is, he's really expanding their view of what it is that Paul is trying to do. His, his aim is to proclaim Christ. It is to preach the gospel. But Paul is ultimately looking for more than just a profession of faith and response. What Paul is wanting to see in his hearers is, is that those who come to believe in the Lord Jesus, that they would come to a, a maturity, that they would come to a, a stability of faith so that they are devoted to the Lord and so that they are not tempted by false teaching. That they are so grounded and rooted in the truth that they're not swayed when they hear alternative teachings or new developments that are trying to creep into the church. And so Paul here is really laboring to try and help them to understand his own ministry. You remember earlier, Paul has zeroed in from looking at the cosmic. He talked about how uh, our, our understanding of Christ is to shape everything. That Christ is the creator of all things. That in him all things hold together. That he is the firstborn of the dead. That, that he is the one who is restoring all of creation. Paul began with a, a very big picture of our understanding of Jesus. And then got right down into the particulars of applying it to these individuals' lives. That those who came to believe in this Christ had peace with God through his death on the cross. They have the forgiveness of sins. They have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And so Paul really has begun by thinking about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus. And now Paul is saying, our understanding of Jesus sums up what my ministry is all about. And my ministry is about trying to help people understand that that in Christ, they, they are complete. They, they have everything that they need. That in Christ, they, they come to a stability of satisfaction. That in Christ, they have sufficiently all that is necessary for life and for godliness. And so as Paul labors this point, uh, he labors uh, about his aim. The same word uh, for being a mature in Christ is used later in the letter of Paul uh, as well. 
at the end in chapter 4, if you turn to chapter 4, you'll see that he mentions uh, this idea when he talks about Epaphras. In verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, Epaphras, who is one of you, uh, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured of the will of God. So what does it mean to be mature? It means that one is understanding of God's will, one that is stable, one that is not shaken, one that is not pulled in all sorts of directions, but is rooted in the truth. And so as Epaphras has labored for the Colossians in this regard, Paul is saying the same about his own ministry. I too labor for that end. But Paul uh, couches this whole description of his ministry uh, by talking about his own experience. Uh, Paul, uh, uh, in the surrounding verses, mentions both his sufferings uh, and his trials. He says in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Paul, as an apostle, is someone who has suffered much. He's in prison as he writes this. But Paul wants them to understand the nature and the purpose behind his suffering. That he is suffering, he says, in order to ultimately bless others, that they would be rooted and grounded in the truth. He says that he is doing this because he is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions uh, for the sake of the church. We need to be careful here. Uh, Paul is not saying there's anything inadequate or lacking in terms of Christ's suffering uh, in, in order to bring atonement for sin. Paul is not saying that Christ's death didn't satisfy uh, the work of salvation. Neither is Paul saying that his suffering is mixed into Christ's suffering and that the two of them together bring about atonement. Uh, there would be uh, false teachings that eventually arise that would have that connotation that the, that the church ultimately brings about uh, redemption. That's not what Paul is getting at here. And we know that because, first, of the clarity of Scripture. When you look at what Scripture says elsewhere, it's very clear that at the end of the ages, Christ put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He put away sin. He accomplished the, the cancellation or the covering of sin by his death. Even in this uh, letter, Paul makes that point in chapter 2. He says that Christ canceled the record of debt by his death on the cross. So other passages of scripture make it plain that Christ's suffering, his afflictions, his death alone covers sin. But then we also could realize that that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying there's something inadequate about Christ's suffering in order to cover sin. Because the whole purpose of this letter is to deter people from thinking that Christ isn't enough. That people were looking to angels and visions and uh, ceremonies and different practices in order to, to feel more complete to feel more godly, to feel like they were a complete believer. And Paul is trying to deter them from that mindset. And so if Paul was saying that, he would be actually endorsing the Colossian heresy. 
So when Paul says, I am uh, filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction, he's not talking about atonement. He's not talking about putting away sin. What he is talking about is, is that Paul is identifying himself in a very intimate way with his Lord. Paul understood his calling. You remember that Paul was called by Christ in the book of Acts on the road to Damascus. He was called by the risen Lord to be a messenger, not only to the children of Israel, but he would go to the Gentiles and to the kings. That Paul's ministry was one in which he was commissioned by Christ to bring the gospel to others. And he understood his suffering as part of the outworking of Christ's purpose. Remember when Christ uh, confronted him, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When Saul was persecuting the church. And so here Paul is reflecting on that relationship, understanding there is an intimacy, uh, a bond between the church and Christ. But more than that, Paul is actually recognizing that that suffering is something that still needs to be fulfilled according to Christ's decree. That the Lord has decreed for his believers to suffer until all things are complete. And so when Paul talks about suffering, he's able to step back from the vantage point of faith. And he's able to say that what he is enduring is through the lens of Christ's decree. It is according to Christ's will. It is according uh, to the purpose of God. So here, uh, Paul is simply acknowledging uh, his, uh, his calling as a minister of the gospel, and he is suffering for that sake. But notice as well, he gives another description there in verse 25. He says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, that which was given to me for you. Uh, the stewardship, it is a word that simply means a manager of household affairs. You think of someone who's running a home, uh, they're paying the bills, uh, they're figuring out uh, how to keep things ordered in the, in the house, they're, they're taking care of the upkeep of the house. Uh, there are things that need to be done. Uh, a manager is responsible for the, the, the well-being and the orderliness of the house. And Paul here calls himself like a manager of God's word. He's one who's under responsibility to make sure that the word of God is dispensed. But also that there's an orderliness to it as well. He's, he's concerned that, that the people of God would know the word, but that they would be shaped by the word. And he sees himself as a servant of Christ to that end, to make the God, word of God fully known. So as he's describing his ministry here, he describes his aim, his goal, as to make believers complete, to present them mature in Christ. And you'll notice that in these verses here, Paul actually mentions two things about how he tries to accomplish that end, to help people to see themselves as in Christ and why it is satisfying to be in Christ. And it is uh, the two things we want to look at this morning are because Christ is the fulfillment of God's grace and because, secondly, Christ is the hope of glory. First, 
It is because Christ is the fulfillment of God's grace. He says there in verse 25, speaking of himself as a steward of the, uh, the word of God, he says it is to make the word of God fully known. Or you could translate that to make the word, to fulfill the word of God. And that's probably a better way of looking at it. That when Paul thinks about his ministry, it is to, to make all of God's truth known to others. But in a particular way, Paul understood that he was, he was actually fulfilling the word of God too. That Paul was making the, the mystery of God known. Uh, he was uh, preaching the gospel and carrying out the task uh, of the word of God being revealed. That's something that even Jesus did in his own ministry. You remember at the beginning, he went around proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe uh, the gospel. Uh, Paul also is proclaiming the gospel, but as he is doing that, he is making God's word known to the Gentiles. And as he is doing that, the prophecies of scripture are being fulfilled. And so when he sees himself as a steward, he's saying, I'm actually a, a minister, I'm a servant. I'm being used by God, but in so doing, God's word is like, like lights being activated. You're seeing prophecies being fulfilled. You're seeing the Gentiles being blessed. You're seeing the nations come to Christ. The word of God is being fulfilled through the ministry of Christ's apostle. And so Paul is laboring to explain uh, what it is that he is trying to do. Uh, as he was making the word of God known, uh, fulfilling uh, the word of God, uh, the prophecies regarding the nations being blessed uh, was being fulfilled. But notice something else about how Paul describes his ministry there in verse 26. He says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but that has now been revealed uh, to his saints. I've said this before, but when you hear the word mystery, we tend to think of a mystery as something that we can't explain. Uh, if someone says, where did the cookie go? And someone else says, I don't know. I guess it's a mystery. We can't explain it. I don't know why it's not here. Uh, it's beyond our ability to declare. But the reason why we read from Daniel this morning is because you'll notice the language of mystery is found in the Bible. That God is a God who reveals mysteries. A mystery in the Bible is not something that cannot be explained. A mystery in the Bible is something that is referring to events that will take place in the last times. As, as in the book of Daniel, a mystery was what God was going to do. Things that lay ahead. Things that referred to the coming ultimately of Christ and God's fulfillment of his purposes. Things that were hidden from people but are disclosed by the God who reveals mysteries. When you come to the New Testament, the word mystery is used actually many times, 28 times it's used. But theologians highlight that the word mystery carries oftentimes two connotations. One is the idea of an Old Testament prophecy beginning to be fulfilled. And the second is, is that that prophecy is being fulfilled in an unexpected way. So you have the prophecies in the Old Testament that speak about a Christ. There will be a Messiah. There will be a king that comes. 
But the disciples were surprised that his kingdom wasn't the kind of kingdom that they expected. The Christ, when he comes, he will be triumphant. And yet when the Christ comes, his triumph is actually accomplished through his death on a cross. It's being fulfilled, but not in the way that people probably guessed it would be fulfilled. And that's what Paul's point is here. The mysteries that were hidden from ages past has now been revealed as we declare them in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. So as one person said, the mystery describes a fuller revelation of what was already known to some degree, even in the Old Testament, a small degree, but now it's happening in a greater awareness and being fulfilled, perhaps we would say, in an unexpected way. In Colossians, Paul explains that this mystery is referring to Christ. You see that even more explicitly in chapter 2. If you look down in verse 2, it says that their hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love, to reach the riches of full assurance and understanding, the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. We see the same thing in chapter 4. Pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. So the mystery that Paul is talking about revolves around Christ. It is referring to the outworking of God's purposes in him. But alongside that, this mystery also has implications with the Gentiles. Because notice what he says in verse 27. To them, uh, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. The mystery of Christ, a savior for sinners, his kingdom of redemption, of righteousness and peace and joy has come. A kingdom that is centered on the Lord Jesus has been made known. And yet it also incorporates the Gentiles. Now you should stop and say to yourself, there's nothing mysterious about the Gentiles. Because you read your Old Testament and it says to Abraham, the promise of God to Abraham is I will bless you and your seed after you. And that through your offspring, all the nations, all the Gentiles of the earth will be blessed. So it's right there, plain at the heart of the old covenant revelation. God's blessing would come to the Gentiles. You see it in the prophecies. The prophets spoke about the Gentiles coming and pleading with the people of Israel, take me and show me your God because I hear the Lord is with you. You read about it in the Psalms, how the nations would come under the Messiah because they are poor and needy. And so it's there, it's not hidden. But there is something hidden. Because in the Old Testament, the Gentiles were incorporated into the people of God by first adopting all the outward markings of an Israelite. You became part of the people of God when you submitted to circumcision. When you obeyed their dietary laws. When you observed their festivals and Sabbaths. You became an Israelite when you adopted all the Israelite practices. And so to be right with God, to be blessed with God, one first became an Israelite and then one was accepted. 
there was a path you had to come into the community and then you adopted everything that the community was doing if you wanted to come before Israel's God and worship. Here, Paul is celebrating a mystery. The riches of God's grace have come to the Gentiles. But it has come to the Gentiles apart from them becoming Jews. They have not had to first become Israelites in order to receive God's blessing. They find God's blessing in Christ, who is the embodiment of Israel. Jesus is what Israel was supposed to be. And so if one is in Christ, one does not need to submit to all of these physical markings of an Israelite under the Old Covenant. And that's really getting into chapter 2 here with these false teachings. The festivals, the dietary laws, circumcision. Paul's saying these things, these things are a detraction because your life is to be found in Christ. Not by marking yourself off as an Israelite but about being trusting in the one who is the Christ, the King, the promised Messiah. And so the mystery that was hidden from past ages uh, is that the path of blessing is not first by adopting these old covenant practices, but rather by embracing Christ. To make the word of God fully known, to fulfill God's word, the Gentiles come to be blessed. Paul is celebrating this is what his suffering is about. This is why he's doing it. But as he's doing it, he's celebrating that it's happening. Imagine yourself. Hit pause. And put yourself back 2,500 years. You are living in the time of Zechariah the prophet. You hear a prophecy by this prophet who says great things will come. Meanwhile, you're living in a time when the kingdom of Judah, the kingdom that has the promise of David uh, surrounding it, the kingdom has been destroyed. Exile is a reality. And then a prophet like Zechariah comes and Zechariah says, many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts in those days, 10 men from the nations and every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew and say, let us go with you for we have heard that God is with you. The kingdom is destroyed. The people are living in subjection to their foreign nations. And now they're being told to believe that the nations are going to be captivated by them. That the nations are going to come to them wanting to join them. And yet Paul is saying, that's actually happening. God's promises have been fulfilled in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, who holds all things together. Through his death and his resurrection, it has brought a response, not just from the children of Abraham. It's brought a response from the Gentiles as well. And so as Paul is talking about his, his own ministry, the suffering, the struggle, everything that he's doing, why is he doing this? It is or, in order so that people would understand they're complete if they have Christ. Why should we think that we're complete if we have Christ? 
Because Christ is the source of God's grace. He is the mystery unfolding in time. He is the center of God's work. And he is the one who is drawing all people unto himself. That's why Paul says again and again, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone, so that people might know, anyone might know, the grace of God in Christ Jesus. God's word is being fulfilled in a wonderful, even if it is in a mysterious way. The death and the resurrection of the Lord has brought a dawning of a new age, but it has also brought a response from the nations. Take me to your Lord. By nature, we don't live with reference to God. We see ourselves and we live self-centered lives. But even when we hear about Jesus, we can still live not centered on him but being drawn to look at other things for our completeness. And here Paul is urging us, instead of living lives centered on ourselves, we are to observe the purposes of God unveiled in Christ and to see him as the focal point. Everything with reference to him. In him all things hold together. God's purposes hold together, but so does my life. Because apart from Christ, everything becomes brittle. How secure are you of your righteousness before God outside of Christ? What is enough? How good is good enough for God? What assurance can you have of God's pleasure outside of Christ? None. And when we start to mix our loyalties, Christ plus something... It's like an acid. And here Paul is saying it's Christ alone that we are to be complete. So he is urging us to realize that Christ is the mystery hidden for ages. It is Christ that brings the Gentiles into the uh, riches of God's blessing. It is in Christ that you're seeing the word of God being fulfilled. Things that were written centuries before are only being fulfilled in Christ. Secondly, very quickly... Why should we see ourselves as uh, complete in Christ? It is because Christ is the hope of glory. In verse 27, he says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of this glory, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That they uh, would understand uh, uh, Christ as uh, uh, the center of all things. But notice that Paul uses interesting language here. This is actually Paul's favorite way of talking about the Christian life. Christ in you. It's the language of union with Christ. It's, a, it's the language of identification, uh, of a, a bond. But it is the language that describes where our life is found. And as Paul talks about the relationship of faith, he's talking about a life that is found in Christ that animates all things. One person by the name of Rankin Wilborn writes this, uh, speaking about the language of union with Christ. He says, he covers you, he shields you, he represents you before the Father. But then he goes on and he says this, he also fills you, he illuminates you, he animates you. Paul's point is, is that life in Christ 
as Wilborn goes on to say, he animates you and makes you more human than you would ever have been on your own. In Christ, we not only have a deeper satisfaction in life, we're more alive because we are united with the source of life. And Paul argues here, this is what he is living for. He says in verse 29, I, I toil, I struggle with all the energy that he powerfully works in, within me. That the life he's now living, he lives by faith in the Son of God who loved him and gave himself for him. Paul is living his life through his union with Christ. And that is ultimately tied with his hope with respect to the future. That he is living, looking forward, uh, not just living uh, on the basis of the present. The gospel then brings a new outlook to life. Life is not simply about maximizing pleasure in the years that we have. Life is lived with reference to belonging to our Lord and that all things are for his glory. Noah was a blameless man. Why? Because he was devoted to his God. He found his life in serving him and was satisfied. Paul is saying to these Colossian Christians that you are to be satisfied in Christ because he is the source of God's blessing. He is your life. He is the grounds of your hope for glory. He is the one that uh, gives us uh, confidence in life and death. It is the belief uh, that Christ holds all things together that will hold us together in the midst of trials. It is the fact that Christ will not forsake us. It is the trust that Christ who is the firstborn from the dead and has risen from the grave that gives us hope of the afterlife and of eternal life. Because as Paul says, when Christ appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So what does it look like to make progress in this life? What does it look like to make progress in the Christian life? What does it look like to be a mature Christian? Because Paul is expecting to present the mature in this life. That's, that's a this-worldly reference. That they would be stable and steadfast in their hope. One thing that marks one that is complete in Christ is, is that they are satisfied in Christ. That they, they know what they believe concerning Christ so that they're not drawn away by false teachings. That when we grasp the glory of Christ, then we will see that we are complete in him. The unfolding of history and the future hope of glory are rooted in Christ. And as a church, as a minister, as elders, that's why the church exists. The church exists so that believers would come to be stable, that people would know the truth, that we would teach and warn everyone that you might know Christ and have hope of glory through him and not be looking to your good works, not to be looking to other things for your hope and your confidence, but being satisfied with Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray as we think about the ministry of Paul, uh, as we think about the ministry of Epaphras, we pray, Lord, that their longing uh, to have believers mature uh, and complete in Christ 
we pray for ourselves, that we would be people who understand uh, all the riches of your glory that are found in Christ, that we would not be drawn away uh, looking at our works, looking at our rituals, not looking at the angels, not looking at uh, our practices even uh, for our right standing, but being satisfied uh, with the God who is and our union with him through faith. Go before us, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.